Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast. The world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast and to this our third episode on the maritime history of Sweden. So far we've heard about Sweden's naval history from 1500 to the present day, how Vikings from the land that would become Sweden travelled to the east and today we're going on a tour of Sweden's brilliant National Maritime Museum in Stockholm and we're in the capable hands of Jonas Hedberg, curator of the museum. I was there filming for Lloyd's Register's fantastic project Maritime Innovation in miniature, filming the world's best ship models with the latest camera equipment. So if you want to see some of their most remarkable objects in jaw-dropping high definition, then be sure to check that out. Just Google Maritime Innovation in Miniature. In between filming, Jonas took me on a tour. As ever, I hope you enjoy listening to him as much as I enjoyed talking with him. Here is the brilliant Jonas. So I'm standing in the Ship Model Gallery of the Swedish National Maritime Museum and I'm with Jonas. First of all, could you just tell us a bit about this museum? Because I believe it was purpose-built as a maritime museum, which makes it quite unusual. It was indeed, yeah. There's a, a, a bit of a convoluted story because this museum is basically an amalgamation of, of two previous museums, which was a, a maritime museum and the state collection uh, the state naval collections. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a, a more civilian side and, and a purely naval collection, which were amalgamated in the 1930s. And this museum was built in 1935, 1936, and then uh, opened uh, in 1938 because it took them some time to get everything in order. Yeah, it's a beautiful shape, and I believe it's the shape of an anchor. Is that the reason it is curved, or is that... Um, is it that, is. Has a maritime historian imposed that yeah, on the design well, in the past? There's, there's an interesting story to that as well, because this, uh, this building was, was uh, built uh, with the help of donations from wealthy financiers, and they'd uh, donated money to the Science Museum a couple of years previously which was built in a sort of very functionalist, almost brutalist style, mm. which these donors 
absolutely hated. And so the, the prerequisite for, for gifting any money to this project was no modernism. So this is, is kind of a throwback to a neoclassicist style, yeah. which was common in Sweden in, in the late 1700s, early 1800s. It's yeah. a very beautiful building. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's newer than it looks. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And um, we're here because um, we're filming for the Lloyd's Register Foundation's Maritime Innovation in Miniature Project. Um, and uh, we've been downstairs in the photo, photo studio um, filming some of your wonderful models. Now we've come up to the model gallery because um, we've been restricted in the models we can film by their size and by the fact there are some in display. And uh, you need to come here to just appreciate how seriously massive some of these models are. Now we've um, recently spoken about Chapman as an important designer. So let's just have a look at this one here. Um, the, let's, let's describe what we're looking at. Yeah, we, this is a type of vessel which Chapman uh, designed in, in the 1760s and 1770s, and, and they were later known as archipelago frigates. And uh, this is a, a hybrid ship. It's, it's, uh, it, it has three masts. It's not a very good sailor. The main means of propulsion is, is oars. Yeah, and the model we're looking at, right, is a um, beautiful kind of auburn uh, coloured uh, timber vessel. It's got guns on one deck, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten on each side. Tw yeah. So there's 20 gun, large guns, smaller yeah. guns above it. And yeah. then it's got, we just count these oars, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It must be 20 oars on each side. Yeah. Each oar has got four men on it yeah. and they've all recreated on the model. So you must have, I don't know, a, a T? But I've got that completely wrong. Um, 160 rowers were looking Yeah, and, and that was one of the big advantages, uh, advantages of this type of vessel. It was that it would, it, you could get by with a, a smaller crew than you could with the galleys. Right. Because the galleys, uh, they, they could have something like 250 oarsmen. Wow. Which, who, who were horribly exposed to enemy fire. Yeah. And uh, so this was... Um, a bit more compact and efficient, and they uh, so was partly very forward-thinking and partly very inspired by <laughs> older types. Yeah, so I mean, this is this this is 1780s, 17, late 1770s. This, uh, this is uh, this ship, uh, which is uh, which was called Ludbrook, uh, which is a. a um, all, all these ships had names which were meant to evoke um, sort of um, Viking romanticism. Okay. So if you uh, watch any of these Viking TV series, you might yeah. you might uh, recall the name Lothbrok. Yeah. And it's the same, Ludbrook. Oh, I see. That's fascinating. I mean, visually, it looks it it, it looks like a mixture between an 18th century frigate with 180 people on board and a kind of 16th, 15th century Mediterranean galley. It almost looks like a Venetian or Genoese galley. Yes, indeed. And, and Maltese galleys were were a big inspiration for for the Swedish navy throughout the, the 18th century yeah. and, and even before that. So. This type was called the Turuma, 
which is a, is a Finnish province because Finland belonged to Sweden at that point. Mm. It was an integrated part of, of the Swedish Empire. Uh, they sort of underperformed in battle because they weren't as, as mobile as, as it was hoped they would be. Yeah. But they had devastating firepower. You see, these cannons, they were all first 24-pounders. Right. And later, they, they had even 36-pounders in some cases. So the, the broadside was absolutely devastating against Russian galleys, which sure. were very lightly armed. So this was yeah, built for the Russo-Swedish War in the, in the 1780s. Um, let's have a look at some of the other artefacts, because there's a, behind us is a rather menacing lion who also looks slightly camp because he's got a crown on his head. What are we looking at here? Yeah, looks slightly deranged. <laughs> uh, and it's most likely not from a naval vessel, but from an East India man. Okay. But the same type of figurehead was... was uh, so it, let's describe it for our listeners. A carved um, oak, um, a, I suspect, yes. a figurehead of a lion who's got his claws out and a very elaborate crown. What sort of period is this? Uh, this would have been the mid-1700s. We don't have an exact date for this, but this type of figurehead would have been common from the late 1600s and probably until uh, the mid 1700s, yeah. when the sort of iconography began to change. Uh, so this rampant, raging lion is a, is a, is a very recurring, common motive. Yeah. yeah. And further up here, we've got another a wonderful piece of carving from a vessel. So we're walking up through a, um, a, a corridor of ship models, yes. a maze of ship models. There's another this, cracker. This, this is one of our, our permanent exhibitions. It's called Battle Stations, and it tells the story of, of Swedish naval history from about 1650 uh, right up until this very day. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, off the top of my head, there are... 50 models in this room? Something like that, yes. Yeah, and one of the largest is just behind us there, and it's got to, the masts have got to be uh, eight, nine feet high. This um, very large one at the back. Let's just go and have a look at this yeah. one, actually, while we're, we're doing that. Um, so this is uh, one of Chapman's uh, ships of the line. Uh, fairly small by the standards of the day, and certainly by, by French or, or, or British standards. Uh, but the Baltic is, is, is fairly shallow, yeah. and you, you couldn't have uh, a draft that was excessive. So you had to build fairly small two-deckers, uh, and sort of standard in the Swedish Navy uh, became 60 gunships, yeah. 60, 64. And this was a standard type of ship of line that Chapman designed uh, around 1780. And they built 10 of these in only three years. 
uh, at the naval yard in, in Karlskrona, right. in the right. south of Sweden. And this model, it's a scale of 1 to 16. So, um, it's absolutely massive. It's absolutely it's towering above us. Um, but it's wonderful, isn't it? Because it allows you to, to really get up close. It's not quite as miniature as some of them. Now, let's just go around here and then look at this piece of timber carving because a little further along the gallery from the rampant, raging lion, we have this fellow. Here we are. Um, who's this guy? This guy uh, is Charles XI, who was a, a, a one of a sort of portal figures in, in, in uh, uh, Swedish uh, 17th, 17th century history. He was uh, the father of Charles XII. Yeah. And a more successful king in many ways because he expanded the Swedish Empire and consolidated it. And uh, this is a, a, a piece from the, uh, the stern. So it's from the stern of a big warship. Yes. Yeah, the Carolus XI uh, built, one of the last ships built at the naval shipyard in Stockholm. Uh, and it gives you a sense of the colour. So what we're looking at here is, again, it's enormous. We've yeah. got um, a very handsome, with, gosh, he has got wonderful hair, hasn't he? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the king astride a horse, which is leaping up, it's balancing on its hind legs. Yeah. And coloured, um, it would have been so bright, wouldn't it? It would have been uh, radiant. And I love his hair and his moustache. He kind of looks like one of his British heavy metal bands from the late <laughs> he 70s. Does, he does, 1972. Yeah. He would have fitted in absolutely brilliantly. But the ship was, uh, was the largest ship in the Swedish Navy at the time. It was designed by Robert Turner, who was an English shipwright and was recruited by the Swedish Crown to mm. help kickstart uh, um, Swedish uh, naval construction. Mm. So, uh, by Swedish standards, uh, it was quite large. It, it had 82 cannons, which was seldom, very rarely built uh, larger ships like that in any of the Baltic navies. Mm. Well, wonderful stuff. Let's now walk through to different parts of the museum. Because one of the wonderful things that you guys have is a, a collection dedicated to um, refugees, to migrants, uh, to people travelling across the Baltic, which I think is a, is, it's a, a very modern story, a wonderful story. And um, now just up here, there is a, not a model of a boat, an actual boat, um, which I believe was used by people escaping to Sweden after the Second World War. Yes, indeed. This, this boat was used by Estonian refugees who, who fled Estonia uh, around 1944 yeah. as the Red Army was advancing westwards and all the Baltic countries had, had been a war zone for a number of years by then, obviously, and they, they'd had enough and, and gambled um, to get across the, the Baltic in these, this very small craft, often. And we, this must have been a, a, a very, very hazardous yeah. Journey. Let's describe the vessel for our listeners. So, 12 feet long? Yeah, roughly. Yeah, clinker built wooden ship. There's one bench left. 
um, wooden boat, boat, I should say, not a ship, um, pretty exhausted and tired. Yes. How has this survived? Uh, it ended up in, in the naval uh, yard in, uh, in Koskrona as a work boat, more or less, and was, was uh, gifted to us a, a few years back. Mm. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Now, what I think makes this such a powerful symbol of fear, but also a hope for a new life, are the, um, all of the artifacts that you've got about um, refugees fleeing. There, um, some clothing here we're looking at, um, and there's a, a wonderful, wonderful piece here. This is a, it's the saddest looking teddy bear you've ever seen in your entire life. Uh, he's missing an ear, he's got a bandage over his head because he's missing an eye, so he looks like a wounded soldier. Tell us about this. Yeah, this, this sad looking teddy bear belonged to a seven year old Estonian girl called uh, Ulvi. And uh, it was taken from her when the family arrived in Sweden because everything, all of their belongings and, and themselves as well, had to be disinfected. Mm. But eventually she got the teddy bear back. Nice. And, and now it's, it's on display here. Wow. It's very wow. touching. Isn't it? Isn't it? Let's talk about some of these other artifacts you've got here. Yeah. Yeah, so this book, for example, is, is, um, is called 20 Years of Independence, meaning Estonian Independence. It was published in 1939 because uh, all the Baltic states had, had been um, independent for only a couple of decades when, when the war broke out. And this, uh, this newfound sense of identity was very, very precious to the Estonians and the Latvians. And, and the Lithuanians, and was taken away from them shortly afterwards. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, 
and they were, they were subject to Soviet rule for, for, um, for 50 years, mm. from around 1942 to uh, 1989, 1990. So this is also a very touching, touching reminder of, of, of people trying to hang on to their, yeah. uh, their heritage. Yeah. And also learning new. I think it's um, fascinating here. So Otto Tammer Tilt's father brought a Swedish-Estonian dictionary with him. When he arrived in Sweden, he often sat in cafes at the refugee camp and practiced his Swedish using the dictionary. Yeah, and the notable thing about many of these Baltic refugees that they, 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 they were very adamant many times that they would learn Swedish as quickly as possible find work. Mm. Many of them worked as craftsmen and, and boat builders. Yeah. Uh, okay. So they, they were really, after only a decade or so, they were really integrated in Swedish society. Wonderful. Now, let's walk along here because um, you've got another of my favourite exhibits of this brilliant museum. Um, we're going to go to the smoking lounge of a... 19th century rail ferry. Um, so here we go. Now, can we get in here? Let's have a look. Jonas has the keys. There we go. We're in. Pause. <laughs> oh, this is fabulous. So in we go. And we are in a ooh, oak. I think this is oak. It might be mahogany. Oak panelled, maybe. Oak panelled room, very close, very dark. Um, and this is the actual smoking lounge of the of this rail ferry. How <laughs> tell me about the tell me about the vessel to begin it, with? It is indeed. Welcome aboard. <laughs> <laughs> and it's from a railway ferry called the Queen Victoria, mm. Drottning Victoria in Swedish, who was the, uh, the Swedish Queen at the time. And the ship was launched in 1909 in Newcastle. Mm -hmm. uh, and she wasn't. She she operated between um, Trelleborg, in the south of Sweden, yep. and Sassnitz, okay, which is uh, northeast Germany. Right. And um, let's explain what a rail ferry is for those of our listeners who don't know. It's a, it's a vessel upon which you drive a train, and then that gets you uh, gets you across the sea, and then it gets loaded again onto the onto the railway of the next country that you arrive in. And um, I was reading about this vessel, and um, I think it was 165 meters of track uh, yeah on board and there are two tracks yeah. and so there's space for 16 to 18 carriages i believe exactly yeah yeah so um that was the main uh link between uh sweden and and, and the continent uh until well fairly late really yeah so uh so when war broke out in 1939, the ship was was uh, hastily rebuilt and and uh, and uh, uh, served as a mine layer right. from Swe for the Swedish Navy. Yeah. But she she she, uh, she was handed back to the Swedish National Railways uh, in 1945 and and went on to to serve for a, a couple of decades. It was okay. broken up in the, the late 60s. But some genius saved the smoking lounge. Yes. Uh, it's now a non-smoking lounge, we should say. Uh, well, sadly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what, I'd like to sit down with a pipe and a cigar. Uh -huh. uh, so, 
it was it, it's a fascinating atmosphere just to sit here. But it, there's a slight list. It is. It's wonky. It makes me feel a bit seasick. Yes, me too. And apparently when they tried to piece everything back together because it, it had been in storage for some decades, nothing seemed to fit until they, they sort of... Wonked it. Wonked it <laughs> by about one degree. And yeah. then everything fit like a glove. Ah, oh, wow. So... And um, we know that there was a, a very famous passenger on this vessel. Yes, uh, it's a very familiar name. Um, and his name was Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, mm. who was sent to Russia in the spring of 1917 by the German government. And the idea was that he would sneak into Russia via Sweden, right, Finland, and create... Havoc yeah. and chaos because Russia and Germany were, were still at, at war at that point. And the Germans wanted to foment chaos within Russia by, by injecting Lenin in. They did indeed, and uh, they, they succeeded uh, beyond their wildest expectations, one would guess. Yeah. Careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I mean, putting Lenin anywhere is going to cause some kind of chaos. It's, it's fascinating thinking that he was actually in this room um, and looked around this and enjoy, enjoyed the views. Well, it's a, it's a really fabulous place. Um, but this isn't the only interior of a vessel you have in this museum. I think we should go and find the other one because that's very special indeed. Yeah. Let's go and see what we can find. So we're walking back out of the smoking lounge now. We're going to go through the galleries. And I'm very proud to say that opposite me are two completely empty um, ship model cabinets. I'm just going to lock the door. And these ship model cabinets are two of your finest models. And they're downstairs in the studio being filmed by, um, by our film crew at the present. So if you want to see what we've been filming here, do please check out the Maritime Innovation in Miniature project. Just Google Maritime Innovation in Miniature and it will take you to the Lloyd's Register Foundation's History and Education Centre's website where you can enjoy the uh, extraordinary footage um, we are creating of the world's best ship models and a wonderful behind-the-scenes film as well um, where you can have a little tour around the museum and see what we're up to. So we're now walking back through the main hallway of the museum and um, yet again there are two enormous ship models either side of me and again I assume that's one in 16 scale so some masts approaching 9-10 feet. Anyway in front of me is well, it is the hugely elaborate gilded stern of an 18th century Swedish royal yacht. That's right. Uh, she was called the Amphion, and she was built in 1778 for King Gustav III of Sweden, mm -hmm. uh, who was a Francophile uh, and loved theatre and the arts. Yeah and also started a war against Russia in 1788. I think he was a bit of a show-off. He was. Uh, An aggressive show-off. He decided, <laughs> as King of Sweden, he'd start a war against the Russians. It was, it was time for a turf war. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and um, so they built this. Now, uh, it's got a quite an interesting history. So it was designed by our, our old friend Chapman, we've spoken about before, this genius shipbuilder and ship designer. However, this was an absolute pig. 
Uh, he got this one wrong, didn't he? Yeah. The, the ubiquitous Mr. Chapman was a royal favourite. Yeah. And he was entrusted with designing this royal yacht. And she was an abysmal sailor. Um, to the point of danger, we should add. To the point of danger. Not, not only once, but several times, things almost ended up very, very badly. Yeah. Uh, and this, this didn't really deter the king from, from using the ship. He was perfectly happy. Um, not <laughs> it sounds sure like a character, what, old Gustav. Yeah. Um, not sure what his points of reference were when it came to, to, to sailing ships, but... Um, Maybe he didn't care how it sailed, he just cared what it looked like. I mean, that's what the, the impression you get from this. I'm not surprised it didn't sail well with this stuck on the back. Well, I, I would guess he would have cared more about the elaborate interior, which is really beautiful. Yep, and it actually survives. Let's go and have a quick look at it. So, um, it's the really... remarkable thing about this, we're now walking kind of past the stern windows um, into a section of the museum where they have, um, well, recreation is completely the wrong word because it's not a recreation, it's the actual thing. The, um, before this vessel was broken up, they saved the, uh, the, the king's cabin. Yes, um, the ship was broken up in the late 1800s, but... Uh, there was a group of naval officers who intervened uh, to, to save this, this lavishly crafted interior. Right, let's describe it. So, um, <laughs> there are painted panels on the walls of cherubs sitting on clouds. There are gilded, carved pillars either side of it. There's a cupola, I think is the word, you know, a... Um, a, a circular thing in the ceiling, um, again elaborately carved with um, gilt, gilt work everywhere. I mean, it's it is just a, a mind-blowing space, isn't it? Yeah, and this would have been the only part of the ship where it, it, it was bearable at all to spend any length of time because the rest of the ship was really overcrowded yeah. uh, which is very funnily described in a number of memoirs from the period of, by, by courtiers and, and obviously the crew and they were packed like sardines really? but the king had his <laughs> of course he had his own space and didn't have to care about the trivial stuff that must have been extraordinary, walking out of the cabin to see hundreds of people on deck, and then you come into this glorious, quiet, <laughs> gilded cabin. Yes. And the war which uh, Gustav started against Russia in 1788 didn't... Uh, what really wasn't a success story. The war went pretty badly for Sweden. Mm -hmm because neither the army nor the navy were adequately prepared, really. Um, it was quite a bit of wishful thinking from the king's side. And they were, in 1790, they were pretty close to defeat. Uh, and the navy had been locked in by the Russians. And they managed to break out with, with heavy casualties. Mm. But as a sort of last-ditch effort to stop the Russians, the king decided that the the, uh, the archipelago navy, uh, mainly oared vessels, would would uh, meet the Russians in battle at a place called Svensksund, mm -hmm. which in, is on the south coast of Finland, and <clears throat> and this uh, 
at this very table, here's, here's where he made the decision and had a council of war. Really? With success? Yes, that was actually a resounding success and the, the Russian forces were almost annihilated very unexpectedly. Yeah. So that's, that's the, the single greatest Swedish victory uh, and the naval, the greatest naval victory of the 18th century. Did it sate Gustav's desire to be aggressive? Did he just decide to, to give it a rest after all of that? It was a handy excuse to, to uh, uh, start peace negotiations. He made his point, I think. Yeah, and nothing was gained, uh, nothing was lost. By, but, but the war had bred such resentment against the king that he was assassinated two years afterwards. Yeah. Well, it's a fascinating story. Thank you very much indeed for our little talk. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. Now, do please make sure that you leave us a review on whatever app that you are listening on, especially if you're listening on iTunes. We'll read out any review that you leave. It's hugely important. It helps us climb the rankings, and that allows more people to find us, which means we can help more people understand the importance of maritime history. We've got a fantastic YouTube channel with some really remarkable videos on it, most recently the animation of a cutaway of a 17th century first-rate man of war from around the time of the Great Fire of London. The video explains everything that's going on inside the ship, particularly looking at the innovative technology from the period. The podcast comes from both the Society for Nautical Research and the Lloyd's Register Foundation, so please make sure you do everything in your power to check out what those brilliant institutions are up to. In particular, please check out Maritime Innovation in Miniature, that project I mentioned at the beginning, filming the world's best ship models. And please, please join the Society for Nautical Research. You can do so at snr.org.uk.